Great. Thank you. Am I on? Thank you, James. And um, thank you so much to our, our youth band. Um, and I was, I was thinking of that, that verse in Psalm 8. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And uh, wasn't it great this morning to be led by our young people and to see their passion and to see God working in them. And may God work in us all too as we worship him. Now, uh, many of you know uh, that at the moment we are working through a series looking at holiness. If you're a visitor here, we're so glad you've come. We're looking at quite a challenging topic this morning. It's been quite a challenging series, I know, but it is Lent, so uh, we, do f- we do look at some challenging things. But um, there's a book called Holiness by J.C. Ryle that we've been following through, and this week we're on chapter 8, and we're looking at penitence. We're looking at what it means to say sorry, and we're going to start with a, a short video clip, just getting us thinking about what it means to say sorry or not. British people do this sort of thing where they apologise, but I never really feel like they're sorry. It's kind of like, sorry, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but actually uh, you haven't been paying off your mortgage repayments. Sorry about this, but we're actually going to have to repossess your house. Sorry about that. Sorry, really do apologise. Sorry. Yeah, could you get the kids out, please? They're crying. It's really annoying. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. We're going to take that TV as well. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not sorry. I couldn't be less sorry. I hate you. I hate you and everything you stand for. I'm never sorry about anything. I have no reason to be. <laughs> Why would I be sorry? Wow. What did you make of that? Elton sang, didn't he? It's sad, so sad. Why can't we talk it over? Oh, it seems to me that sorry seems to be the hardest word. It's both an easy word to say and a hard word to say. It is both cheap and costly. And as I say today, we're thinking about penitence, which is just a posh word for saying sorry and meaning sorry, for repentance. It's not a very popular concept today, I don't think, to be genuinely sorry and remorseful. Not just sorry about what's happened to us, not been just been sorry about what's been done to for us, for our circumstances, but sorry for the part we've played in them. Not averting attention from our own failings, but allowing the Spirit of God to search our hearts. Uh, J.C. Ryle, on the chapter that some of you will be looking at in your groups this week, he focuses on the the two thieves who were crucified with Jesus and on uh, the account of the, the, the one thief in particular who said sorry and the one who didn't. And I do commend that chapter to you. As ever, he is direct. Ryle is direct in his language, but I think he makes some really good points. But I'm going to focus on Psalm 32 this morning, which is actually my favorite psalm for a number of reasons. So we're going to read Psalm 32 together. It will come on the screen, but as always, if you've got a Bible, it's much better to have the Bible open in front of you. Then you can flip backwards and forwards. You can, you can see its context and so on. And when the slide goes down from the screen, you'll still have it there in front of you. So if you do have a Bible um, on your phone or, or a, a paper version, um, Psalm 32, if you're, if you're new to church, Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. So just open the Bible down the middle and you'll probably find yourself in Psalms. It's the longest book in the Bible. And have a look at Psalm 32, which we're told is a Psalm of David. 
a mass skill, which is probably some kind of musical term, reminding us that this was ori- would originally have been sung. And this is what Psalm 32 says. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in, his, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, whoops, no, not that yet, not that yet. Go back. No, (laughs) we're coming to that, yes. Right, get, some, get your mind back in Psalm 32. Let me just remind you of verse 5, which is the crux verse, and then we'll go on to the verses on the screen. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Uh, Perhaps, George, if we just go back to the the previous slide, because it's the first five verses I want to focus on. But the psalm, in a sense, is a... It takes us on a journey of blessing. And it's a U-shaped journey. It starts high. It starts talking about blessing. But actually, the the point of the psalm is really to experience that blessing, we have to go down. We have to go down. Um, We have to recognize our own need of God, our need of forgiveness, before we can come up and experience that final place in verse 11 of rejoicing. But I just want to look at those, those verses on the screen, the first five verses particularly. The first two verses, verses one and two there, uh, this, is, this is typical Hebrew poetic style of saying something similar in, repeatedly, using different words and phrases. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. We have different words for sin and our rebelliousness. Transgression, wickedness guilt, treachery, whatever, you might have a different version of the Bible that might use different words to translate these human terms, but they're all getting at things that come between us and God, things that are burdening our souls and drawing us and pulling us down. And then there are also a a series of different words for for, for for what form the blessing takes. Forgiveness, our sin being carried for us, somebody carrying it. 
it being covered, it being not counted against us anymore by the Lord. It's, uh, it's, they're verses that talk about peace with God. This is what blessing means, ultimately, being at peace with God. Knowing that we can come to God and not feeling that there's something between us, something within me that makes, me, makes it impossible for me to approach God. Do you know that blessing? Do you want to know it? It's the peace with God which one of the thieves on the cross with Jesus experienced in the very worst of circumstances. It's the peace with God which Paul, the murderer of Christians, came to know when he came face to face with the risen Jesus. It's the peace with God which we can all know, knowing that we are fully cleansed, fully accepted, fully loved, not just provisionally, not just temporarily, not just until something else happens, not just contingently, not just depending on how good we are and how good I'm going to be tomorrow, but permanently, completely forgiven. So what is the root to this blessedness that we read about and which the psalm encourages us to sing about? Well, the root, as I say, it's, it's a U-shaped. It goes down before it goes up. When I kept silent... When I approached this thinking I didn't really need to tackle it, well, that wasn't a good route. And the psalm uses very poetic, graphic language. Bones aching, throat moaning, strength sapped, and all this at the hand of God himself. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The psalmist comes face to face with his sense of guilt and shame and encourages us to do the same. And then to find it within us to say that difficult and yet easy word, sorry. That word which is so cheap and yet so costly. Not to keep silent, but to say it to God. Sorry is hard to say, if you really mean it. I think maybe it gets even harder as you get older. We know what it's like if you've, if you've um, worked with children or had children. Say, say sorry. Sorry. It's easy to say it, isn't it? It's meaning it that's the thing. I think as we get older, we find it perhaps hard to say. I think perhaps men are particularly bad at it. I know I'm not very good at it. But if we say it, it can be enormously liberating. Before I became a minister, I, I worked in, in a professional services organisation where you, where you just didn't say sorry. Uh, you, you, you didn't admit to making a mistake. You certainly didn't admit it to a client. Uh, you, 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 would, you might find some other language around it. You, you'd try and resolve the situation, but you never said, I've made a mistake. You never fessed up in that way. Uh, you never even really, at a personal level, I found, people were very reluctant to, to admit they'd made a mistake. I, I would sometimes try it in, in a meeting. You'd say, actually, oh, I, I realise I didn't do that very well. And, and people would look at you and, and think, well, what, what's he doing? Is he having some kind of crisis? Actually, saying sorry and admitting your weakness is hard, and yet it's a very liberating thing. It's a very dramatic thing. 
And verse 5, there at the bottom of the slide, in a sense, the, well, it's only one of the key verses of this psalm. This is the moment of transformation. This is the moment where the you has reached its bottom and we're going up the other side. Then, when my strength was sapped and I was so miserable and my sin was weighing on me and my bones were aching, then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I no longer tried to cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. The way out is uncovering ourselves. That word covering, we we had it in verse 1 as well. Um, Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. And yet, sins being covered doesn't mean we sweep them under the carpet. That's the wrong sort of covering. Our our sins have to be covered by God himself. And in a sense, they have to be uncovered first. I did not cover up my iniquity. You can almost feel the weight being lifted, can't you, in that final clause as God carries the sin. I don't know if you've read Pilgrim's Progress uh, or seen a film of it or something. The Pilgrim has this burden on his back, doesn't he? The the main character, the pilgrim, the Christian character, has this burden on his back, which we know is the weight of his guilt and sin and shame. And it's a terrible burden and he can't get rid of it. And eventually he comes to the cross. And as he kneels at the cross and brings his sins to God in repentance, what what happens? Well, the, the burden becomes unloosed from his back and it tumbles down down the hill and into a grave. And and I love the words that John Bunyan uses, uh, quite sort of, um, I don't know, 17th century English. Then was Christian glad and lightsome. I I think we can imagine what lightsome means, even if it's not a word we're familiar with. It's the word that the psalmist is talking about in verse 5. This feeling of release, that our sin has been taken from us. And it happens, of course, at the cross where God bears our sin. The modern focus on sin is primarily as something that is done to me. We are above all victims of sin. And to be honest, that's not really a biblical concept. Of, of course, that's not, there's no denying that we may very well be victims of other people's sins or of circumstances. The Bible, of course, is not denying that. The Bible is passionate about justice and about dealing with injustice. But it doesn't encourage us to make what has been done to us our identity, to make our victimhood into an identity. In fact, I'd say it strongly discourages that. And certainly not to see it as an excuse for being anger, angry and bitter and to continue to sort of carry the sin around with us. The Bible does not encourage that. It encourages us to look into our own hearts. The first letter of John says these famous words, if we claim to be without sin, if we say the sin is all out there and not in here, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. You know, no one's fooled but us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God does not offer us excuses. God offers us something way better. 
He offers us forgiveness. He offers to carry the sin for us. Jesus did not just come to die with us to to show what it's like to be a victim. Jesus came to die for us, to bear the sin upon his shoulders so that we do not have to carry it. Right, George, this is the moment to look. So, so I know some of you have, um, have um, complimented me on my slightly cheesy visual aids the last few weeks. Um, I, you are about to see another one. It is cheesy, but I hope you will agree it has a good and serious and worthwhile point to it. So, uh, so here we go. You'll need, to go. you'll need to go back to the beginning, George. It seems to be moving on in an alarming fashion. Right, here we go. There will be sound. No. We need the sound. Let me introduce you to Chris. He's just having some lunch. Oops, he's made a mess. Oh no, how annoying what to do. There are various options. Number one, he could hide it. Hmm, that doesn't really work. He knows what's underneath and it might even seep through and it's not very comfortable. It doesn't deal with the shame that he feels for the mess he's made. The second option is to get angry and to find someone else to blame. If only Heinz made those bottles in a different way, the mess wouldn't have happened. But that doesn't really work for him either. A third option is to try and sort it out himself with a piece of paper towel. Ah, that doesn't really work either. In fact, it's possibly made things quite a bit worse. Then I said, I will not cover up my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Psalm 32, verse 5. Oh God, I've made a mess and I'm sorry. It was my fault and I need help. I'm no longer worthy to be called your child. Luke 15, verse 21. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, verse 9. So if Jesus has taken my sin, That means I no longer have it. What a difference it makes when we take our sins to God to deal with. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Psalm 32 verse 1. Jesus died to carry, to bear our sin. Excuses are ultimately burdensome because in our heart we know the things which are inexcusable, however deep we try to push that truth. Excuses leave us in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32. 
bones wasting, groaning, strength sapped. But penitence and then forgive us, forgiveness lead us into verse 5. You forgave the guilt of my sin. And ultimately to verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Show me a joyful, fulfilled, humble, confident Christian. And you will show me someone who has walked the road of penitence and knows God's forgiveness. Show me someone who is still trying to justify themselves, trying to blame others, avoiding repentance, and you will show me a sad, bitter, stunted spirit. Penitence cements our relationship with God, but it also begins the task of restoring our humanity. Do you long to be a better person? Do you long to be able to relate better with others? Do you long to put your past life behind you and be conformed to the image of Jesus? The road is down before it goes up. The road involves a life of repentance, a regular repentance, of bringing regularly to God our weaknesses and failings, listening to his spirit as he both convicts and comforts us. Have you, have you these last few weeks been struck and amazed by the faith of Christians in Ukraine as they have continued to worship through the horrors of what's happened and is happening to them? Have you um, perhaps encountered somebody who is um, approaching death or going through terminal illness and something about them is... Um, it, it's all, it, the, 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 what they express is all about God's goodness and blessing. I've, I've seen many people like that. And, and what it is that enables people to do that, it's a relationship with God established in the good times, established when the shells are not falling, established in the disciplines of repentance and knowing God's forgiveness and knowing who we are, and being secure that our identity is not as a victim, but as a child of God. That's what affects us when times get tough. So the challenge this morning is, is have you walked this path of penitence? Are you walking it? Do you need to start walking it now? Or do you need to start walking it again? And we can't walk it until we've been to the cross and felt our burdens roll away. And in a minute, we will come to the cross as we remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us as we share the bread and the wine together. As we remember that Jesus took our sins upon his shoulders. He carried them for us if we will only bring them to him. And as we do that, we will, we will sing in a moment. But before we sing, I just want to read... Well, I've, I've, I've read you my favorite psalm. I'm going to read you my favorite of Jesus' parables. Uh, this is Luke chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself 
and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I wonder who you identify with in that parable. I wonder if you feel a sense of shame, not just at what you've done, but a sense of shame maybe at who you feel you are. Well, this parable is speaking to you. It says it's you that Jesus finds acceptable. If you will only come in penitence, in humility, and humble yourself and reach out to God as we go down, down into the bottom of the you, we rely on God to lift us up. Let's be quiet for a moment. Let's reflect on where we are in all this. going to have a prayer that's going to appear on the screen which we I invite you to say with me I will say it first give you a chance to hear it and to reflect on it and then if you would like to I invite you to join me and say it when I say it the second time almighty God long-suffering and of great goodness I confess to you I confess with my whole heart my neglect and forgetfulness of your commandments, my wrongdoing, thinking and speaking, the hurts I've done to others and the good I have left undone. O oh God, forgive me, for I have sinned against you, and raise me to newness of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you would like to say those words with me. Almighty God, long-suffering and of great goodness, I confess to you, I confess with my whole heart, my neglect and forgetfulness of your commandments, my wrongdoing, thinking and speaking, the hurts I have done to others and the good I have left undone. O oh God, forgive me, for I have sinned against you, and raise me to newness of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the words God says to you are the words we read in 1 John chapter 1. God will forgive us our sins when we confess them to him and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so I declare, not because of any authority I have, but because of the authority of Scripture, that if you have said those words and if you have meant the penitence you've confessed, then I proclaim that you are forgiven. God has pardoned and delivered you from all your sins. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we celebrate and commemorate as we increasingly turn our minds to what we're about to remember in the Lord's Supper. Let's prepare our hearts as we sing how deep the Father's love for us. <laughs>